This episode contains discussions of topics that are meant for adults. What is Montrospective? It's what we say to ourselves and our attitude towards it. We repeat mantras over and over again to ourselves. If we're doing it right, they're positive, not negative. What we say affects our attitude and our point of view. We all have dreams and goals, but how many of us know where to start to make them happen? I am fascinated by everyday people who are doing extraordinary things, and I wanted to find out why and how they were able to be successful. I spent 16 years in radio, not as a DJ, but as a promotions director. I never had an interest in being front and center or putting myself out there as a personality. Fast forward to today, I have something to say and messages from incredible people to share. Simply put, I am interested. I want to know what propels everyday people to follow their dreams in the hopes that it will inspire you to do the same. We have one life to live. Let's listen, learn, and share our journey with the world. This is Montrospective. Montrospective would like to thank our sponsor. If you're looking for a one-stop shop that offers yoga, meditation, Reiki, readings, and various other classes along with being a metaphysical store, check out Mantra in Blue Springs, Missouri off 7 Highway. Also online at mantrakc.com. Today's guest, in my opinion, is a real-life Wonder Woman. She has navigated some of the most challenging and difficult experiences a person can go through with courage, grace, and a lot of spunk. She is a mother, a wife, a professional, and that doesn't even begin to describe all that she is, especially who she is as a person. In fact, her own husband describes her this way in a birthday Facebook post. You met every challenge with fierceness of Muhammad Ali and the grace of Jackie O. She may not know it, but she has been an inspiration to me, and I know she will be to all of you. Alicia Reppert, welcome to Montrospective. Hello, thank you. That made me a little emotional. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a feeling this entire conversation is going to be emotional because you have a story um, like none that I know. And it was important for me to have you on to share it because you've been to hell and back. You really have in so many ways. Um, And you shared so much of it through social media. Yet through brutal honesty, you were always trying to find a way to remain positive and see the good in things, which I think is so important and so much of what this podcast is all about. So I kind of want to go back a little bit first and ask you what kind of kid you were and what your dreams were for your future. As a kid, I would say I was very much a mama's girl, very introverted back then. Like I remember even going out to restaurants, I never had the courage to even order my own food. (laughs) I was just very, like, I kind of was a really shy um, kid. I was always very into art back then. Um, But yeah, I would say I was, I was pretty shy and introverted even back then and (laughs) very much a mama's girl. You'd never know that now. (laughs) Never know that now. What did you want to be when you grew up? Did you have an idea when you were a kid or were you just exploring all options? My dad was always an animal lover. And so I always kind of had that in like that mind frame that I wanted to be in animal work. And that is eventually what I ended up doing when I, you know, got out on my own. 
I, I did that for 10 plus years. I was a vet tech, so. Yeah, and then you switched gears and we're gonna get into that. But being a vet tech, that had to have a certain level of emotional control. Like I am a pet lover too, an animal lover in general, and to just um, have to do the things I'm sure you had to do um, you know, you seem very much like an empath, somebody who feels other people's feelings and, and things like that. How was that for you? I think I, part of me, whenever I was growing up and I was trying to figure out what path I was going to go on and knowing that I was an introverted person, but I was a, like, I, I like to help people and I like to help, you know, animals in general, <laughs> like just helping, um, the animal path was the way that I, that I thought was going to be the best for me. Um, because I didn't have to interact with the people so much and it was more the animals and, um, I communicated with animals really well. Um, and so I, I do think that I am an empath as well, but being able to see that I was helping the animals and also helping the people through me, helping the animals was, um, yeah, that, that's where I got the satisfaction and, you know, the drive to do it. Yes, there is hard things in that too, but, um, I, I think I saw that I was really using my strengths, you know, in, in what I could do. Well, something else I know about you is you're one of the most vastly creative people I've ever met. You're a true artist. Um, can you talk about where this talent came from and what your favorite types of artistic expression are? I like to say that I am a jack of all trades, but I am a master of none of them. <laughs> because I think just out of boredom and creativity, it's like, I'm just like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to try to do this. And I literally have probably tried almost every hobby and craft and, <laughs> but I can say that I'm probably not great at all of them, but it's just whatever keeps my mind going. That's how my mind works. Like I have have to constantly be doing something. Well, so. I think you're being um, a little uh, conservative here because the stuff <laughs> you've posted is just the most creative, ridiculously just amazing stuff. Like people don't even begin to understand how cool the stuff you have created is. And even just from a visual standpoint in your own home, you took a home, kind of a blank canvas a little bit, and completely zhuzhed it up and made it your own. And it's so bright and um, just very home. It reflects you. It reflects your family. And I know I'm not very good at that. I, I just, you know, I'm trying to follow along in a magazine or something, but you have a way of having this vision. Um, so what's your favorite type of artistic ex expression? Because I know you paint. I know you, you know, create. You do all sorts of things. What do you like most to do? I don't know if I have a favorite thing. I mean, I, as a, as like, as a kid growing up, I always, like, I always draw, like I drew or I painted. Um, and I've, I guess I've carried that on into my adulthood. Um, and I like the, as far as my house goes, like, I just like to be surrounded by things that I like, like it, whether it's, I picked, up a cicada shell from outside and I framed it and shellacked it or, you know, like I do, I just have a weird sense of appreciation for things. <laughs> and so I just see, I don't know, I see things in a different light, I guess. 
Well, I'm glad you said that because I think that's going to be important for people to remember throughout this entire interview is that um, you do see things differently. And I think that's what has gotten you through a lot in your life in the last couple of years. You also call yourself a retro enthusiast. Can you yes. tell everybody what that means? Yes. So I've always kind of had a partial liking to like 50s, 60s, like that older style, the older vibe. I like part of my house has old, you know, retro couch and furniture, things that I've picked up from garage sales and all kinds of stuff. But I always like admired those women from the 50s, 60s, Marilyn Monroe, you know, all, all of those lovely ladies. Um, and I think growing up, I never realized that I could transform my own style into that. And then um, one year I was looking and I found a clothing line that I absolutely fell in love with. And it was all like retro inspired clothing. And the girls had their hair all done up in the retro style victory rolls and I fell in love with it and so from then I started doing like my own like started off styling and um, trying to do the makeup and hair and I'm off I was awful at it at first like did not know what I was doing but um, and I also started dabbling in photography and so I started doing um, my own like little pinup retro um, makeovers for people um, and so I kind of started out that in San Diego when I was living there um, and that shoot that's been I don't even know how long now but I, I I guess dabbling in photography for 12 years now so since then you don't seem like somebody who can get sit still like sit still too long like you're just <laughs> you know, you can't be bored. You have to be doing something. You have to be creating. And your retro look is one of the most spot on ones I have ever seen. When you're done up in that way and you've got your hair and all of that, it's just, you look like you're from that time. It's absolutely beautiful. Are you self-trained in that way? Or are you professionally taught at all when it comes to hair and makeup from that standpoint? It is all self-taught. And like I said, from the beginning, I was not good at it at all. Um, and it's funny to look back at those pictures because it's like, oh, little baby Alicia did not know what she was doing at the time. But I have practiced and practiced and practiced on other people. And um, then that's kind of led me to where I am now. So, And we're going to jump into that. I do want to talk about your husband because your husband and my husband have known each other for a very long time. That's how we met. And you met Tim, was it in 2016? Yeah. Okay. So what was it about him that attracted you to him? Because Tim, <laughs> I will say, is a very um, creative, unique individual himself. If you, for me, this is, man, this is me and my impression of him. If you look at Tim and you don't know him, he could come off as a little intimidating, um, but he is the biggest teddy bear I've ever known in my life. He is yeah. the sweetest, nicest guy. He cooks. He's a great dad. So what what attracted you to him? You know, at first, because I've actually known of Tim for like since I was 17, which we have about a seven year age gap between us. And so we have friends of friends and at the time he did not know me. And I just remember seeing him 
like, you know, very nonchalant. I saw him and I was like, oh, that's a good looking guy. And that was my first just reaction. And then it's weird because through time, I have just seen him randomly throughout places. Um, like, like I said, my first job, one of my first jobs as an adult, I was working at a vet clinic. And at the time I was just a receptionist. And I remember checking someone out um, and not realizing. And I looked up and it was him. And I just remember like going, oh, it's that guy, like it's him. <laughs> and so like from there, I just remember there's been like points in my life where he's just kind of popped up and it was about 2016. I was going out. I, at the time I was single and, um, would go out, you know, with friends here and there, um, in the Kansas city music scene. And I would, I was started seeing him out. And at the time he was with someone and I just remember seeing him and being like, Oh, well, there's that guy. Like, good for him. It looks like he's with somebody. I hope he's happy. Like it was just, I kept seeing him. And then, yeah, it was one night we, um, I, like one of my friends that also knew him said that he was going through a divorce. And I just remember thinking, so there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I gave him a little bit of time, but I, like I said, through friends of friends, I kind of had known a little bit about him and, um, seemed like a guy that I might get along with. And so I found him on Facebook and started messaging him, just said, you know, that I was sorry that he was going through what he was going through. And um, I noticed that he seemed like he might be pretty close to me where I was living at the time because he was posting, you know, where he was at. And I'm like, oh, I think we might be neighbors of sorts. Um, so after like a couple of months of talking online and um, I, my girlfriend and I went out one night and I was like, Hey, you should come up here and we should meet, you know, for the first time, like officially. And we got along really well that night. And he ended up taking me home because my friend wasn't ready to go home. And he was like, you know what? I think we're really close. He was like, I'm going to text you whenever I get home. And it was literally within a minute. And he was like, I'm home. And so <laughs> that kind of started our relationship where uh, the first time he actually came over to my house, he skateboarded with a six pack of beer <laughs> and we sat out on my patio. And yeah, I mean, he had gone through, um, you know, some, some life stuff and I had gone through some life stuff and we just really connected in that way. And I hadn't even gone through all of my life stuff yet. Um, but I think definitely we connected and we found each other at the right point in time. That's how, I, I find it kind of serendipitous in a way. Like if we would have met any other time before the right time, it probably wouldn't have worked out. But because of the timing, it was like he was meant to find me and I was meant to find him, which is really cheesy, but <laughs> it's not cheesy at all. And it's exactly what I think too, because um, you know, I've known Tim now for the last eight years and, um, I've seen for me personally, I don't know what my husband or anybody else who really knows him thinks, but I've seen him make a shift with you. Like he will post these beautiful tributes to you on Facebook and stuff that I don't remember him seeing, you know, seeing him do that as much before. Um, I just think you've had such a profound impact on his life and vice versa that you're right. 
I mean, you guys met during a time when you both needed each other. You didn't even know how bad you were going to need him until, you know, a little later. But that's why I think you guys have a really beautiful, unique love story too, because not only that, you both had children from previous relationships and, and kind of had to blend that family. What was that like for you both? At first, it was a little bit of a struggle because he also had um, stepkids that he was taking care of at the time. So we actually, when we first got together, like made it official that we were going to be together. Um, and he had raised his stepkids from when they were tiny and so he didn't see that, like he, he just, he saw himself as their father, which he was for, you know, even if he was their stepdad, he was a good in their life for a good portion of time. Um, so we actually had five kids in this house at one time, which for coming from a person that I'm surprised I even had one kid, <laughs> that was quite the transition and also co-parenting. Um, is difficult on its own and in the midst of them going through a divorce and you know all kinds of different things (laughs) from the co-parenting side of of that um it was really difficult at first and you figured it out you figured it out (laughs) and you know your daughter especially with um tim has twin girls um, that are just adorable and seeing the three of them interact together and all the stuff they do together. It's really cool. It's, it's, um, it's just kind of neat that they have that influence from an older sibling now as well. Yeah. Scarlett has always told me, cause I, I pretty much raised Scarlett on my own. Um, and she had always told me that she wanted a, a sibling specifically a sister. And I was like, well, I, I don't have anyone to do that with. And I don't see that happening. So, and then whenever I got with Tim and he had the the girls, I was like, well, there you go. You get two for one on that one. (laughs) And I didn't have it, which is even more of a bonus. So (laughs) absolutely. Well, now that we've given everybody kind of a little snapshot of who you are as a person, we're going to go back in time just a little bit to December of 2018. And I pulled up a Facebook post that you're probably going to remember, but I wanted to start with this to kind of set the tone um, for where it is we're going. So you say in 2018, as this year comes to a conclusion, I reflect and think about how the good definitely outweighed the bad for me. For the past five years or so, I have struggled with depression and especially around the holidays. This year, maybe I cared less or maybe I'm just holding my happy moments closer and not dwelling on the things that typically stress me out. Whatever it is, I'm happy. The next year feels like it could be a reinventing of myself. And though the unknown is scary, I'm so excited for my adventures. Thank you to every bright light that has come into my life in the past couple of years and have changed my outlook on life. I love each of you and hope that we will have a great year together, 2019. Your 2019 was quite the pivotal year. Wow, I forgot all about that. (laughs) So so that was where your mindset was in December of 2018. Walk us through your first three months of 2019 and what was happening to you at that time. Um, so do you want to talk about like my daughter's stuff as well? If you want to, yeah. I didn't know where you wanted to start with that. And that had 
gone on for about five years of going through that, which is probably what I was talking about there. So she was seven at the time and told me of her father molesting her and not knowing what to do with that situation. You know, I contacted the people that I needed to talk to, to get that ball rolling, to get him, you know, prosecuted for the things that he did to her. You know, he was a Navy SEAL at the time and with no previous offenses and we were going through a divorce at the time as well. And we were friendly, you know, I mean, as friendly as you could possibly be. Um, and she came, she went to um, him for the summer because he was able to keep her for one, one summer. And I was living here in Kansas city and he was living in San Diego. So she flew to San Diego and stayed the summer with him. And then when she came back from him from that one summer, um, she told me that he had molested her. And um, so I contacted my lawyer, not knowing you know, what, what I needed to do, never having come from a situation like that, I didn't know who to contact first. Um, and so I called my lawyer. He said to call the Independence Police Department I did that. They came over and did a wellness check on her. And then um, they said that since it didn't happen in, you know, in Missouri, that it was probably going to be taken up with the San Diego police. So then that ended up happening. And because he was in the Navy, I had the NCIS also um, on, on it investigating, which many of them flew out here and, um, you know, did interviews with us and um that was on and off for about three years i feel like it was right before me and tim had met um and they actually dropped the case because they said that there was insu in insufficient evidence um and since he didn't have any prior you know offenses to it um, that they were just going to drop it. And they told me that I could go on my own um, to do it, but they, they pretty much told me that they wouldn't recommend it given her age at the time um, because they were going to cross-examine her and I didn't want to put her through that anymore. Um, and so I lived pretty much in fear for all of that time because I, my ex, like I said, was a Navy SEAL that was a trained sniper and, you know, he had family in Missouri as well. And so I, there was a good point in time when it was just me and Scarlett living in my little house and I wouldn't sleep for uh, years. <laughs> I pretty much didn't sleep any little bump in the night. And I was up making escape routes in my head of how I was going to get out of the house and um, so I, I lived with that for quite some time. And then I believe it was 2018 that, um, he raped a woman in Virginia while he was, um, on, you know, a job duty in the Navy still. Um, and the woman reached out cause she was also a military, um, personnel. And so, um, she, told his commanding officer of what happened. And they actually had recording of him admitting to um, raping her. 
and that allowed them access to his phone and his phone had, that's where they found um, evidence of himself molesting another little girl. And he had like 80 or so images and um, videos of child pornography. Um, so out of that, they contacted me and reopened our case. Um, so Scarlett, at this time, Scarlett was, I mean, that was, she was t going on 12, 11, 12. Um, and so she, we knew that we were going to have to go to San Diego to testify um, with him, um, but we weren't for sure when that was going to happen yet. So that, I would say that post there was, it was um, kind of reflecting on all of the stuff that we had gone through in that last five years. And I finally had, you know, I, this is when Tim and I were in a good spot with each other and I felt safe. I actually slept for the first time after being with him and I felt safe with him. And um, I knew that he was a good male, positive male role model for Scarlett. Um, and so I kind of felt like that 2019 was really going to be a close, a closure point for me, which it was in a sense, but also opened up a whole nother, um, you know, whole other life tragedy in the midst of another one. Um, so you started off 2019 optimistic. Yes. That this was going to be a closed chapter. Scarlett was going to be able to um, begin to put this behind her as much as someone can do in this situation. You were finally going to be able to. You had Tim, who was hugely supportive of the both of you throughout this. And then what happens? And then I noticed one day, which I had just, I went to all of my regular checkups with the doctors, like I was supposed to, like a good girl. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everything seemed fine. And then in February, I noticed one day whenever I got home from work and I was taking off my work clothes. And I noticed that on one of my breasts that there was a red raised area that just didn't quite look right, but I didn't think much of it. Um, and I called my sister because she's a nurse and she, I throughout life have always just contacted her whenever there was any kind of weird thing. I'm like, Hey sis, what's going on? <laughs> Cause I am naturally kind of a hypochondriac. And, uh, so I contacted her and I was like, Hey, I, I have this going on. And she was like, well, I don't know. That sounds weird. Um, she was like, but you just had your checkup with your OBGYN. So why don't you just tell him that you have this going on and I'm sure he'll get you in since you literally just saw him. And I was like, okay. Um, so I went and saw my OBGYN, which I have known him since I was 17. Um, and so I, you know, had my checkup with him and he was, did the exam again and he didn't feel anything, but he was like, well, let's go get a mammogram and an ultrasound just to see what's going on, you know, just, and he, honestly, he even told me hindsight. He was like, I wasn't expecting it to be anything. He was like, I just thought that you had, you know, gotten a scratch from work, you know, cat scratch or something. And it just kind of flared up. 
Um, but so I went into get my mammogram and I saw women coming and going and I was still there. And they're like, with each minute, I was just like, okay, something's not right. And uh, so the radiologist came in and he said, we see a mass. Um, and he said, it looks like it could be a lymph node. And if you were my daughter, I would tell you to go get this biopsy as soon as possible. And so my doctor, my OBGYN called me and he told me that uh, he had wrote that he was suspecting it was cancer. The radiologist suspected it was cancer and that I needed to go get a biopsy as soon as possible. Um, something I forgot to mention is that I was kind of in a um, uh, like I was leaving my job that I had had my career path. I it was kind of coming to an end, um, for moral reasons. And, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was growing anymore in the animal field. Um, so I actually had just put in my two weeks, um, in the midst of all of this. So I was actually, looking to change career paths. And then I went to go get my mammogram and all of this happened. And my doctor actually told me, he said, you need to beg for your job back because I think that this may be something that you're gonna need your health insurance for. Um, and I don't want you to be without it. And I was like, well, I, I that's not an option for me. Like I'm not, I don't want to be here, especially if I have to face something like this. I don't want to be in a place that I'm not happy. Um, and so I went and got the biopsy done. And that my last Friday at work, I, I just had this intuition before my doctor even called. I even remember going and getting sick in the bathroom. Like I just had this overwhelming feeling of something was about to happen. And within that next hour, my doctor called um, and they actually had taken a, a skin biopsy as well because of the inflammation that was on the skin as well. Um, and so she told me that they were going to rule out inflammatory breast cancer, which, you know, I being naive to all of this, I had no idea there was multiple different kinds of breast cancer. And so as soon as I left that doctor and I, you know, did the ultimate thing you should never do is Google something. <laughs> and um, inflammatory breast cancer, was, what she was ruling out was one of the most rare and aggressive forms of breast cancer. Um, and so I was just like, well, of course that would happen <laughs> to me. Um, so that Friday that I was diagnosed, um, that, that Friday she called me and said that it, my biopsy had come back positive for breast cancer. They were still waiting for the skin biopsy, but she was almost certain that it was going to come back inflammatory breast cancer, which would put me at stage four. And so I, you know, she was telling me this stuff and I was hearing it, but I wasn't quite understanding it. Um, and I just remember Tim, Tim and I at the time had talked, um, that day actually about, um, since I was leaving my work, um, you know, leaving this career path and 
not wanting to go back to it. And me and him had talked about eventually getting married. And since all of this was kind of happening, we actually had planned that day to meet up at the courthouse and get our marriage license just to get the ball rolling in case we needed to do that. I mean, we were going to do it anyway, but for insurance purposes, sure is nice too. (laughs) Um, But so she called me, diagnosed me and I called Tim to tell him what was happening. And he actually thought I was just calling him to tell him that I was on my way to the courthouse. And I had to tell him that my, you know, my biopsy came back positive. And I told him I was going home because I didn't know what else to do. And I didn't want to be at work. And so I head home and he headed home. And I just remember going to take a bath because water is kind of my comfort. (laughs) And so I went and soaked in a hot bath. And then he came in and Um, he proposed to me while I was in the bathtub and said, let's go get married. And so I was like, okay. And I put on one of my favorite dresses and we went up to the courthouse and filled out our paperwork. And the, I asked the lady if there was someone there that could marry us. And she said there wasn't, but, um, she slipped me a card for a lady on the square that was actually in the Super Bowl ad from the year before. <laughs> and she marries people out of vans, which <laughs> I thought was just kind of funny and perfect. <laughs> and so we went up to her and there was a couple already getting married in there and we waited. And at the time um, I had a nurse navigator that had called me Um, just to kind of, you know, walk me through like the next steps and um, doctor's appointments, like just to kind of help you sort out, you know, everything that's going to be happening, because it all happens very fast after you're, you're diagnosed. And I just remember talking to her while Tim was filling out the marriage certificate um, for us. And she just goes, you just seem so calm. Like, is everything like, are you okay? And I said, well, yes, like, this has been a lot, but I'm actually waiting to get married right now. And she was like, what? (laughs) She goes, I have never had this happen before. And she was like, let me get off the phone with you. You do that. And we'll talk about all of this stuff later. And so that was um, something that was going around the hospital for a while was that we were the people that were diagnosed with breast cancer, but instead of it being something that was a bad day. I never wanted to remember that as a bad day. And we turned it around and made it into something positive and we got married instead. So (laughs) I know this story and I'm already crying again (laughs) because it, it was so beautiful. And I remember my husband telling me, he's like, Tim and Alicia are getting married. Alicia has breast cancer. And it's just, it was like so much information coming at you at once. It's like, wait a minute, what, what is happening right now? You took what could have been, and and in some ways was the worst day of your life. And you didn't let that define you. And you didn't let that um, be the lasting memory that you have. It's always going to be there, but you also have the memory of marrying your best friend on that day in a completely unique and different way. Um, And it's just such an amazing story and a true testament to how much you two love each other. 
because that was Tim's first reaction. It wasn't to run and be fearful and be scared. It was to be there to support you and to give you everything you needed. And, oh, I got to stop because I'm just going to start crying like a baby right now because it is, it is so inspirational. And I hope other people that are listening to this and you're going through a hard time are able to find a way to flip the script like that, because this was just the beginning. This was one day that we're talking about, but it was one day that gave you something else to focus on. You were going to start the fight the next day, but today you're going to be getting married. So what was that like for you after you said, I do and went home again, did that that realization come back to you right away? Or were you able to really kind of revel in that moment of being married? That night, we actually, because it was a very confusing day because it, and people were like, I don't know whether I should say I'm sorry or congratulations or, and that was something that I think I, I loved about that day so much is that I didn't want people to like feel sorry for me or anything like that wasn't what it was like. I posted, I said, I told everybody, Hey, I have a rare an aggressive breast cancer. And then it was like me and him are getting married, meet us at the bar and let's celebrate. And so that night it was a very, I I don't even know how to explain it. Like it was all of, all of our closest friends got down there and had drinks with us. And in a time of a lot of unknown and scared, you know, feelings. It was also a lot of happiness too. And so it really did kind of counteract it where it's like, instead of me just thinking about all of the unknown stuff that I was about to face, I knew that I was with Tim and surrounded by all of our friends that loved us. And it gave me a lot of hope. Well, the next day you began your fight. And, you know, I know that was hell for you. It is for anybody who's going through um, chemotherapy and all of those things. So can you talk a little bit about that, what it was like to adjust to that new reality for the time being? So she diagnosed me on that Friday. And so I actually had to sit with a lot of unknown things for the whole weekend which was really heavy (laughs) because I didn't know what kind of breast cancer I had. I didn't know. I mean, she had told me that she assumed that it was stage four. And so I was just going into it with that mindset and thinking that I may not live for very long. And that's a harsh reality to face. Um, And so my sister actually, um, she was living in Michigan, my nurse sister, um, was living, lives in Michigan. And she actually drove down to go to that first, um, doctor's appointment with me because she knew, you know, you hear a lot of things that the doctors are saying, but sometimes you don't get all of that information. Um, so I went in to, um, the breast, um, surgeon and she was talking to me about, you know, the kind of breast cancer that I had, which was HER2 positive. Um, And we were still awaiting the skin biopsy to come back. And while she was sitting there telling me, you know, stage four breast cancer and talking about, you know, all of those statistics of it, um, the, her, her front desk lady came in and handed her a piece of paper. And I just remember her sitting there 
and she's reading it and she's literally like goes oh and like sits back and I'm like okay what <laughs> like what is that and she was like your skin biopsy came back negative so that takes that inflammatory stage four breast cancer off of the table and I was like what <laughs> like okay so all of this stuff that you were just telling me is not even like, it's not that. And she was like, right, like this could potentially be a lot less severe um, or, you know, less state, less staged um, than what we had thought. Um, so I actually um, got a message from a friend um, that his wife, she had passed um, years before of the same kind of breast cancer that I had. Um, and he um, suggested that I get a second opinion, um, just because the doctor that he, um, saw in the, that she saw in the last years of her treatment, um, made her life expect expectancy last multiple years past what a doctor at a different place had said. Um, so he was like, if you do yourself a favor, go find this doctor and see what he says. And so I actually started to see this doctor at KU. And I can tell you that the doctor, the, the doctor that I met, the oncologist that I met at one place, she didn't quite seem as certain and and it kind of scared me at first. Cause I was like, I don't know how I feel, you know, like I was just kind of going with what they were saying, but I, I didn't feel her confidence in this. And as soon as I met this other doctor that was recommended to me, he came in and he saw all of my stuff. We did a couple of tests together and he was like, we got this. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> like, excuse me. And he was like, we got this. He And he wrote out like what he was going to be giving me. And he said, so this is what we have for this. And this is the kind of chemotherapy that you're going to have to do. And yes, it's going to be hard, but he goes, I, people respond really well to this. And he goes, even if say you don't respond well to this, then I have this. And he had a whole backup plan too. And just the confidence that this man had, I was like, okay, this is my guy. Like I need this guy. Um, so it was, yeah, I, I had, it all happened very fast, but it was like, as soon as I met that doctor, I knew that he was the person that I needed on my side. <laughs> it was like a game changer for me to have um, staff and doctors that, you know, eat, sleep and breathe this stuff. And he had all of the confidence in the world that I was going to beat this. And it kind of changed my outlook on it too. That's a huge message because, you know, we're all told we have to be our own advocate. You know, you, you need to go until you find somebody who believes in you and trusts you and everything. And it does make a huge difference because your attitude changed immediately from fear to fight. Like, okay, I got this. We yeah. got this. I've got somebody who's on my side who believes in me, who isn't giving me a death sentence. It's giving me a plan of here's where we go to fight this. So you began chemotherapy right away. Was that it yeah. or what? Yeah, I had to, because, because of the cancer that I had, though it wasn't as advanced as, as they had originally thought, it still isn't an aggressive form of cancer. So it does spread very easily. So he wanted to get started on it right away. So I started, I had to get my port, 
placed and I started chemo within two weeks of me being diagnosed. Um, and the regimen that I was on, I went every three weeks. Um, and it was six treatments that I had to have. Um, and it was usually an all day thing. That very first chemo I spent from, I think I, we were there for like 12 hours. Like it was an all day thing. Um, but I, I can tell you this, like I, that very first one, you know, it kicks you on your butt. And then it was like, I just remember being in a fog almost of, of the treatments. And as soon as I started feeling better again, I had to go get another one and it kicked me back down. And I remember people coming and seeing me, but it was really, it really was just like a fog. I didn't like, I felt like I was here, but I also feel like it was almost like an out of, out of body experience too. Like I remember going outside and soaking up the sun and trying to make the most of, of the every day. But my husband said that I, he felt like I just slept for like four months is what it was. Um, but yeah, it, it was difficult. Well, we know chemo is hard on absolutely anyone, but I know for women, it's especially hard when you lose your hair, when you start having skin issues. Um, and I know that took quite a toll on you emotionally. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes. Um, I would not say that I'm a vain person, but I did appreciate the way that I looked. Um, I always, you know, I, I liked to be able to do my makeup and do my hair and my retro style that I've always done. And so being a, like having to, when my hair started to fall out and, um, I asked my husband if he would shave my head and he was like, I honestly, babe, I don't even think I have it in me that I can do that. And so one day when I was just at home, I said, all right. And I, um, shaved my own head because I realized it was going to happen quick and I just wanted to get it over with. Um, and being on the drug regimen that I was on where I had to have steroids days before I was given the chemo, being on that influx of steroid and then that, you know, the out of the chemo stuff, my skin broke out into the most worst acne I've ever had where it hurt my face. My, my cheeks were just covered in red pimples, blisters almost of, of acne. Um, and so that was a harsh, like, I felt like I had, it had taken everything from me. Like I knew by the end of it that I was going to have to have a mastectomy and my body was going to be altered, but I felt like the in-between, it was like knocks you to the lowest rock bottom that you could ever get where it's like, I felt like crap. I looked like a monster. I felt like, and it really did that. That was a pretty hard uh, hit for me. And you were very open and honest during that time because you shared pictures of yourself on social media and you talked about about how you were feeling. It was very, very real. Did that help you cope through it by sharing it with other people? I think so, because for me, just, just talking about it, because I knew for me, if I kept that in, then it, I was going to be eaten alive by my own thoughts. And 
for me, just being open about it, open about my experience. And like, I had never previously, I I've never known really anybody that had gone through the things that I had went through and being able to see that was kind of a, I was hoping that if anybody saw that, that might be going through something that they might get something out of just seeing, you know, what I was going through. It was kind of a harsh reality that I just wanted people to see that. And maybe if they thought they were having a bad day, I guarantee mine was probably worse at that time. (laughs) That's not, not funny that you say it, but ironic because I was going to move forward a little bit into July and August of 2019. And that's literally almost word for word, what you said in that particular post, because you're showing how, grateful you are for everything because at that moment um, you're still dealing with what's going on with your daughter you're getting ready to travel to San Diego so we'll go into that and you're getting ready for surgery and you're trying in this post you're trying to weigh out those two viewpoints of trying to be positive or, or trying you know to see the negative you know you're trying to weigh that out and you're just saying either way I've probably had a worse day than you, but I'm still here. I'm still moving forward. So talk about that time. So that same month that I was diagnosed in March was actually, ironically, the same month that my daughter was supposed to go testify um, with her abuser. And I was starting chemo that same week that she was supposed to fly down there. And during all of this time, you know, I had it in my head that I was going to be right by her side to do that. And because of me having to start treatments, I wasn't able to go down there, which was devastating to me because, you know, I had spent years waiting for this moment to go in there and be by her side. And I wasn't able to do that because of cancer. Um, so my sister actually flew down with her, um, and the, she was the attorney on her case. Um, she, I, I wrote Scarlett this really in her, in a journal. And I wrote to her that I wanted her to go out there. Cause I knew she was scared. I mean, who wouldn't be, you know, I knew she was scared and I wrote to her in this Um, journal for her to read on the flight out there. And I said, you know, though I can't be with you right now, just, I want you to go in there, look them straight in the eyes and tell them everything, tell them everything that ever happened to you and speak for the girls or the, the kids that haven't been able to, you know, confront their abuser and, you know, just go in there and give them hell pretty much is what I said to her. And I just remember the attorney calling me after she got done and testified. And she said, that girl is something else. She went in there. She had a suit on. She walked right up there, just gave the facts. And she said, when she got done, she fist bumped me. And (laughs) she was like, you know, it, it went as well as it could have. And uh, Scarlett came back and it's like, I saw a different light in her even. Um, so that was, that was definitely, I, I feel like her, it kind of gave her strength a little bit too. And she gave me strength through all of my treatment as well. I just remember one time asking her as I was getting closer to my surgery date 
And I, I looked at her and I was, you know, I, I just want to see, we've gone through a lot of stuff, you know, this year and I'm just checking in with you. Like you haven't, I haven't seen you be emotional or anything. And I was like, I just want to know you're okay. And she was like, yeah, mom, I'm good. She was like, I, I was like, you know, are, are you worried about anything? She was like, I'm not worried about anything. She just, she goes, I just know that you're going to be okay. And that's, I was just like, okay, <laughs> like, that's all I needed. She was like, I just know you're going to be all right. And so I finished chemo in June and, um, his sentencing, her abuser's sentencing was in July. And so I finally had gotten, you know, my immune system had built up a little bit more and, um, I wanted to be present for his sentencing since I could, um, I wanted to be there and they said that I could read a victim's impact statement, um, to him and he wouldn't be able to talk and I could just say whatever I wanted to say. And so, uh, Tim and I flew down there and, um, I read my impact statement to him and he was behind a glass wall and they actually sentenced him to 60 years plus 27 that he had from the Virginia case. So he actually has 80, not, um, 80 consecutive years. So he has life in prison. So my girl, my girl did good. (laughs) That must've been such a relief. And I know it's an ongoing process just because that happens doesn't mean that everything that happens went away. And so I know that you've spent all of this time helping her get past all that, but I got to tell you, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I mean, she is so much like you and shows so much strength and perseverance and just to be that brave to be able to walk in and do what she did, watch her mom literally going through hell and just being there for you the entire time. You got one heck of a strong daughter and that's a testament to you. So congratulations on that. (laughs) Um, Your surgery, was that an option? Was that a decision you had to make or was it necessary? The way they presented the surgery to me was they knew that I needed to have a single mastectomy on my left breast. And I had always kind of had it set in my head that I was a large, I was a larger chested girl before all of this. And I also didn't want to have to worry. I the way they explained it, like cancer doesn't jump from one side to the other, just because I had it in my left does not mean that I would ever have gotten it in my right. But I didn't want to have that, uh, you know, that unknown or second guessing in the back of my head, whether or not it was ever going to happen in my right. So I had always presented this with, I knew I was going to get a double mastectomy. Whenever, um, I saw the plastic surgeon for the first time. Um, he, you know, they never, they never gave me the option of anything other than having implants or a deep flap, which is where they take your belly fat and move it up and form breast. Um, that was the, the two options that I was given. And through my own research and I started, um, a couple of Facebook pages, um, like following Facebook support groups, 
um, I saw that some women stayed flat and I was like, well, you know, that was never even really an option that they gave me. So one of the first, um, doctor's appointments that I had with the, the plastic surgeon, he was, you know, giving me my options and telling me all what was going to happen during those, those couple. And with each of those options, there was multiple upon multiple surgeries with each of those. And I just remember leaving that doctor's appointment and Tim was with me and I just started crying as soon as we left. And he was like, what, what's going on? Like, what are you thinking? And I said, I feel like I'm going to be Frankenstein by the end of this. Like they're trying to give me breasts that are never going to be my breasts. Like once these are gone, they're like, it's never going to be my breast again. And I don't know that I just want to go through all of those surgeries to have big fat placement of things that are not actually my boobs, you know? And I've been large chested my whole life. So I was like, you know, I, I don't see why I need to do that. And he was like, well, you don't have to. And I was like, well, if I, I was like, you know, you wouldn't mind if I stayed flat. And he said, no, he was like, I'm just going to be happy that you're here. And I don't want you to have to go through multiple surgeries either. So he was like, you, (laughs) which is funny in true form to my husband. He said, I've always been an ass man. So (laughs) he, uh, he supported me 100% and I decided that I wanted to stay flat. So that is where I I presented it to my doctor and I told her, you know, I, I decided that I don't want to do that and I just want a flat closure. And she said, okay. And a lot of times, and I've heard this from multiple people, Um, especially with young women that are diagnosed with breast cancer and face mastectomies, um, they don't allow you to do flat closures. And it's just now becoming more of a popular thing because they think that you're going to go through this withdrawal of not having your breast. And so a lot of doctors won't even allow you to have the flat closure as an option. And it's just now becoming more of a, more of a thing. Um, how do you, but, how do you feel about your decision today? Oh, I'm, I know for 100 fact that I don't think that my body would have handled any of the other surgeries very well, because I ended up having to have radiation as well. And I have a lot of adverse, uh, effects from the radiation and my radiation oncologist even told me that she thought that if I would have had the implants that my body would have rejected them. So I know for a fact that I listened to my true self and it wasn't the right option for me. And I don't regret that decision one bit. And again, in another mark of bravery, you posted a picture of yourself on Facebook as well. And it was just so powerful. It was so powerful. I mean, you did not shy away throughout your entire journey of telling your story and being authentic to yourself and displaying for people what you were really going through. And that was such a huge moment to be able to share that and say, here's my decision and here's why I did it. And here's why I feel good about it. And it was very powerful. And so I definitely want any woman listening right now, who's um, debating that, or, you know, if you're having to make that decision to really hear what Alicia is saying, because, um, my God, if this woman can do it, (laughs) anybody can. And I know it's a very personal decision 
for every woman to yeah. make. The thing um, is, I, it, whatever suits you, if you feel like that's what you need to make you feel comfortable, then do it. But I just knew for me, having breast was not the defining thing of me that made me a woman, you know, mm -hmm. and though I do miss them, I miss cleavage and a pretty dress, but you know, there, that was not the thing that was going to push me to go through all of those extra surgeries. And like, like my body, like she said, my body probably would have rejected that. And then I may not have even have had a nice closure like I do now. Like my scars are actually healing up pretty nicely. And I, I see myself now and I see the beauty in having my scars. So it's your scars of everywhere you've been, how much you've gotten through. Um, I agree with you. I'm, I'm glad that you see it that way. And I know it's not easy to, because I know in a way you'd prefer that it never at all happened, but you became <laughs> so much stronger and found out so much about yourself that you may not have had you not gone through this experience. So um, I know that's back to weighing the two sides of everything. Um, that you know. definitely, all of this has definitely um, made me realize I'm a whole lot stronger than I gave myself credit for before. And being that shy little girl that I was, you know, I realized that I'm, I am totally not that little girl anymore. Like I have gone through a lot of stuff and most people probably would never guess that if they met me um, outside of this, you know? Um, but I, I think it's really made me appreciate and it made me realize that a lot of people go through multiple life tragedies and that, you know, we're kind of all in this together is what it made me realize. At what point were you declared cancer free? Um, after my surgery. So my, my surgery was August 9th of 2019. And, um, she, my breast surgeon called me two weeks after that date, after all of the pathology came from my tissue. Um, and there was no evidence of cancer in any of the lymph nodes. They took 10 lymph nodes, um, and looked through all of the tissue and there was no evidence of cancer. Um, so I was declared cancer-free then. Um, and I still had, a portion of my chemo that I um, was on, there was two drugs in, um, in the chemo. It was Herceptin and Progetta. And I had to take that for a total of a year. So I actually still was going every three months for my infusions. Um, and I also did um, 30 rounds of radiation as well, just as precautionary. They actually said, um, if you are to Google what her two breast cancer is, um, it's pretty scary if you look out there. Um, but my doctor, the way he explained it was that the new medicine that they have for her two breast cancer, um, it's not all of the research and stuff is not out, um, on the internet quite yet. Um, it's still relatively new within 10 years or so. And he says now it is one of the most curable kinds of breast cancer. So um, he said, because I had a complete response to it, um, he 
expects me to never have a problem with this. And in the back of my head, I'm like, are you sure though? Like, <laughs> and I, it, he's had many anxiety calls with me and appointments and he always just kind of looks at me. And this last time I actually had an appointment with him, my six month appointment in, in this month, earlier this month. And he just kind of looked at me and he said, I'm not worried about you. And I said, okay, I know. <laughs> but in the back of my head, it's always kind of there. But he gives me, he still has that confidence still now to this day. And I still appreciate that more than anything. I love that. And I love to know that there are still doctors out there that are like that, that are able to show that level of compassion for somebody too, because they know that you're scared to death. They know that you've got all these questions and fears going on in your mind, but they want to squelch that as much as possible. And because half of this, and I think you'll agree is having that positivity to get through stuff. It would have been really easy for you to turn the other corner. It would have been really easy for you to stay in that bathtub the day that you were diagnosed and shut out the world and say, nope, nope, I, you know, this is my fate. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. But you didn't do that. You literally took the bull by the horns and rode through one hell of a year to come out the other side and be declared cancer-free. Yes. I hope you take the time to really appreciate yourself for that because you know you're not unique to cancer there's a lot of people that go through cancer every single day but it's in how you choose to deal with it and you just you gave that example to the rest of your family and all of your friends to someone like me who was watching from afar going good god she can do anything she literally can do anything it, it, literally beginning of the year, get diagnosed with cancer, go through hell. And by November, you're starting cosmetology school <laughs> of that year. <laughs> yes. What was that like for you to make that transition from fighting for your life, fighting for your life to I've got a whole new life to live. And this is what I want to do with it. Yeah. So I will say that through all of my cancer journey, it really, I like, I knew I had friends, but you know, sometimes being friends with people, you don't see people often, you don't talk to people often, but it really opened up. Like I realized how many people I, good people I had in my life that were on our side, that were rooting from us, whether it be people that came over to give us food to, you know, any cards and people that I've known that I was doing pinup stuff with from California and New Zealand, like people were sending stuff and it, really kept me going um, on that positive side of, of all of this. And one of my really good friends, Nikki, um, who is the um, photographer owner of Vixen Pinup Photography in Kansas City. Um, she's a really good friend of mine and a friend that I was styling hair for on the side throughout the years. Um, I had lunch with her and um, our friend Candy and she just kind of had, she broke it down to me and was like, Hey, what are you planning on doing after all of this? Like when you get done with cancer, like all of this stuff, what are you going to do? And I just, I had that moment where I was like, Oh crap. I have no, like, I don't know. What am I going to do? And she was like, well, have you ever thought about going to school professionally to do hair? Cause you're really good at it. And I kind of had that, like, it was just kind of like a light bulb. And I was like, you know what? Like, 
I never really thought about it. Like it always just was one of those hobbies that I had, you know, like I just thought it was something that I liked to do. And I was like, you know what, like maybe I should look into that. And so she told me that she was actually starting and she's um, in her forties and she was looking to have a new kind of life change too. And she said, you know, I'm going to, I'm thinking about starting school to get my cosmetology license. She was like, why don't you look into it and see if you would like to do that too? And I was like, you know what, like, that's a great idea. And so at that moment, I, I started looking into it a little bit more and that was never even on my radar of like starting school again, especially after everything I went through, I just kind of thought I would be in the animal field forever. I don't know. Um, it just was the norm for me, you know? And so I asked him about it and he was like, well, you know, that, that could be an option, like look into it. And so I started um, touring schools and this was all while I was still doing my radiation treatments. I started um, touring different schools and I live in Independence and I was very familiar with the Independence um, Cosmetology School, but I had always kind of heard bad things throughout the years, you know, and just one of my days of driving, I drove by that old school and they had changed the billboard out front to Summit Salon Academy. And I was like, oh, well, maybe, maybe I should go check that out now. And so after touring a bunch of different other places and not ever really feeling like I never had a good feeling about any of them, I set up a interview with the Summit Salon and I met them and toured the building and they had completely renovated it. And the owner had come out with a big smile and shook my hand. And I saw all of the other girls that were there and they all seemed like they were really enjoying themselves. And like, it just felt right at that moment. And so I decided that that's what I was going to do. And um, I literally had just finished my 30th radiation treatment that Friday, that it was before uh, Thanksgiving that year. And then I started school that following Tuesday. And so I still was all beat up and, you know, red and burnt and open wounds um, from radiation. And I started school that, that next Tuesday and was combating the radiation trauma and I was happy as can be still, <laughs> even, even with all of that, I was just, it just felt right. And um, I was styling hair, practicing on mannequins and learning new things. And it just really, it made me realize that that like this field was right for me because it is a constantly growing field. It's something that I, it's being an artist, but using people as canvases and it just really clicked with me. Well, I'm glad you're doing it because full disclosure, I'm coming to see you in another <laughs> week and I can't wait to see what you're going to do to me because I trust you implicitly. I've seen your work and you are an artist, you're a genius and you make everybody look amazing. So um, I can't wait. I feel like I'm going to Edward Scissorhands and I'm so excited <laughs> about it. <laughs> Um, at the beginning of this podcast, I started off by sharing a post from December 2018 and what you were hoping for 2019. So we're going to uh, look at your post from December 2019. You said, I married my best friend. I beat cancer, closed a chapter and put a bad man in jail forever. 
and I started school to work towards a passion of mine. I saw this post earlier and it really had me thinking that I could look at things negatively if I chose to, but look at all the good that came out from this year. It's been a tough year, but I'm sure glad I'm here to see all the good in it too. Seriously, you went through a nightmare of a year and you still at the end of the year found all the good in what happened to you. How do you do it? how do you do it? (laughs) You know, I don't know. And I've had uh, many of counseling (laughs) sessions on this too. And even the therapists are like, what? (laughs) I don't know. Um, Honestly, it's just, I'm just happy to be here. (laughs) I'm happy that the, in what could have been my last year turned out to be you know, something that I got to marry my husband and start our family that, I mean, we were already in it, but to finally say he's my husband was a really cool thing. And um, to be pushed into something that I never thought that I was gonna, that I would ever do because being that shy person and you know, I never probably would have went to cosmetology school and realized that I have a talent that can help others. Like I like to make people feel good. (laughs) And I don't think that without cancer, I would have been able to do that or I would have figured it out. There's not a lot of people that would say that, you know, I I mean, it takes, it takes a special person (laughs) and a special person who's very grounded in themselves and knows who they are to be able to declare that. And on your one year anniversary of being diagnosed and your one year wedding anniversary, you shared something that you had written during your struggle. So I'm gonna read it back to you and I want you to give your thoughts on it at the end. I'm sure you're gonna remember this. There are pieces of me that died, though I have lived through things that would probably kill most. There are pieces of me that died. I smile on the outside, inside I cry. I miss the old me. I miss the innocence that I once held before I held my head high for different reasons than I do today. Life slowly chips away at that innocence. My skin has become a pelt of armor. The pelt that protects me now is a symbol of the life that was and the life that will be. I am humbled in my new skin. I feel like I need the coldest, snowiest winter to commemorate my darkest year. I feel like I need the storm of my life to pour down on top of me, cold, heavy, wet, so I can climb to the top and yell at the top of my lungs, is this all you got? (laughs) Yep. What do you think about that now, being almost a year after you wrote it? It's crazy because I didn't even remember writing that um, when I shared it. I actually had saved it in my phone, and it was in one of those foggy chemo days that I wrote that, and now hearing it again, like it really, it just, it brings me back to the feeling that I had, the, those scared feelings that I had in the very beginning. And then just seeing my, my strength really shine through, through all of it. That's what I got out of it too. And I had the total visual of you standing on a giant mound screaming that and because that's that's how I feel about you like I I feel like there is not anything 
that could be put in your way that you couldn't overcome. Um, what advice would you give others who are fighting cancer or really any challenges in their life? I think for the hardest, the hardest thing for me is that I never, before this, I never liked to ask anybody for help. And that was a real struggle for me at the very beginning is realizing that I needed other people <laughs> as much because I'm hard headed. <laughs> so realizing that I needed other people and that other people are there to give you that help because we are all in this together. So take the help, <laughs> whether you want to admit that you need it or not, even if it's just to have a meal or, you know, a warm meal brought to you or somebody to go sit with you during your chemo or it's just that that was probably one of the biggest things that I realized is that rely on those people that reach out to you because you need them. <laughs> they make this better. This is probably a broad question, so answer it how you wish, but I imagine on the day you were diagnosed and the day you decided to get married, there was probably some people in your life that cared about you that questioned your decisions and what are you doing and are you thinking clearly and all of that. So the question is, how do you deal with criticism? I had, I was pretty lucky that I had a lot of people that supported my decisions or seem to support my decision. Um, but there are those, <laughs> those weird comments that people give you that say, you know, like, oh, well, you should cut out sugar and you should do this. And, you know, it's always, it, it comes from the kindness of people's hearts and they don't realize, you know, <laughs> what they're saying sometimes. Um, but I would just say, just stay true to yourself and, um, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the day, what's best for you. And I think a lot of people reach out. It's, it's out of the kindness of their heart for the most part. I don't think that anybody maliciously reached out to me to give me bad advice. They all want to help. And whether or not that comes out the way that they mean to, I think that it's people's true intent that they just, they're, they're coming with the best of intentions. Um, but still you, you do, you still do whatever is the best for you. <laughs> what inspires you? My daughter <laughs> really inspires me. Um, and just now just everyone, like I look at everybody in a different light now. It's kind of given me a new perspective on, on everybody. <laughs> like I see that people go through different struggles every day and so just to treat everybody with kindness whether you think that they're having a bad day I mean who knows what what's going on with them you know that that's kind of what inspires me now is just to treat everybody with kindness whether you think they deserve it or not <laughs> it's a perfect message you're about to graduate cosmetology yes. school what are your plans for the future so I have been talking with um, the owners of my school are actually also the owners of the Glam Room down in the River Market. And uh, 
since I started, they have kind of been um, interested in me going down there and put a little bug in my ear that I should uh, go down there and interview. And so I did that. And so I've actually had it, have it set up for me um, to go down and do their, their associate program down at the glam room where they put me with one of their senior stylists. And it's about a six month program, but it kind of just gets me, you know, more acquainted with the salon life. Um, and then I'll be able to be out on the floor on my own. So that's so exciting. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Yes. That is like one of the, I think out of all of this, I am really proud of myself for not only going through all of what I went through and started Cosmo school, but then in the middle of a pandemic too, like (laughs) it really has (laughs) been a trying time. And right now I've, I've kind of struggled with senioritis for the last couple of months where it's just like, okay, well, can I just go now? Like, (laughs) can't I just start doing this? But yeah, I, I have about two weeks left and I'll be down at the glam room starting my new career, which is a very proud moment for me. Congratulations, because I know that is huge. And I mean, you've done it in what seems like a fast amount of time, really, when you think about all that you've been through, the decision you made to do it. Now, a year later, here you are, and you're about ready to start a brand new career that you never even anticipated starting. So that's pretty powerful. So normally at this point, I do a little challenge called find your mantra perspective that is, you know, taking a negative situation and finding out how you turn it into a positive. I feel like this entire episode has been that. Um, But what do you do now in your everyday life when something happens to kind of throw you off? How do you bring yourself back to finding the positive in it? I still just think about everything that I've gone through, what I've overcome so far, and just look at that as an example. Like I know, uh, like a bad day is a bad day, <laughs> you know. Like I, I think about that whole experience as a whole, and I think, you know, I, I, things in the grand scheme of things now, given what I had faced, I just can kind of look at, you know, a bad day being a bad day, something might happen. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Like it's, I don't see the big issues anymore. It's just kind of all little things. And I try to live my life day by day. One final question for you. What mantra do you say to yourself that keeps you going? I'm sure I have a bunch, but because you put me on the spot. Yeah, I would say just take one day at a time. But Alicia, you are an example to anyone that is going through hell and is having trouble seeing the light. Thank you for sharing your story so honestly and for continuing to inspire not only myself, but now so many others. If you're interested in learning more about Alicia and maybe setting up an appointment with her, if you're in the Kansas City area, I will tag her in all of our social media posts. Thank you so much for being on. Is there any final thoughts you'd like to share with everyone? Thank you so much for letting me talk and keep on keeping on. (laughs) It's a perfect way to end it. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll talk to you again soon. Remember, your thoughts become your reality. 
You have all you need to begin to make your dreams come true. Dream it, believe it, manifest it. Have a great week and I'll talk to you again soon.